Today we're going to start a new series. We've looked at the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we took a, a brief series to talk about Martin Bootser. But uh, now I'm thinking with the, the rest of the year that we have, uh, we'll look uh, at virtues, have a series on, on growing in virtue and looking in each lesson at a particular virtue in Scripture. Uh, not all, there's certainly many virtues that are mentioned in Scripture. Uh, sometimes there are lists of virtues and qualities that uh, we find, especially in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. You can think about the, the book of Proverbs and how it speaks of many virtues that it exhorts us and encourages us to adopt and to practice. Um, let me go ahead and read one of those passages. We're not going to follow it line by line, although we'll cover many of them in this series. Second Peter chapter 1. Um, I'll go ahead and start in verse 3 and go through verse 8. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word for virtue is itself used in this passage. It's actually used twice. It's translated as virtue in verse 5. It's also translated excellence in verse 3. Speaking of God's virtue, God's excellence, um, as well as the excellence or virtue which we ought to add to our faith and our knowledge, it's listed as its own thing, but all of these things can be described as virtues. Um, it refers to, the word refers to virtue, excellence, praiseworthy qualities, uh, originally had a sense kind of like valor or manliness, usually thinking of of excellence in battle, if you think of, of Homer perhaps using the word uh, in, in his epics, uh, things that were praiseworthy and what might win fame by exhibiting them on the battlefield. Uh, but early on, the word also uh, was applied to other praiseworthy qualities that one might uh, have and demonstrate uh, to the right use and strength of all your faculties. Uh, and so the, it has the idea of being uh, something that is praiseworthy, something that is, uh, shows excellence. Uh, it already had a long history, of course, by the time the Bible used the word. Uh, Aristotle would discuss it and talk about it as being a habitual disposition by which the affections and faculties are exercised properly without deficiency or excess. Uh, he would write, The virtue of man also will be the state of character which makes a man good and which makes him do his work well. He would say, you know, we could think of the virtue of the eye is the excellence by which it is a good eye and sees well. 
or the excellence of a horse by which it is a good horse and it does its you know, work as a horse well. Well, we think of the virtue or excellence of, of a man, of a human, um, and uh, by which a man is good and does good. So it doesn't refer only to occasional acts of righteousness, but qualities and habits that express themselves in good deeds. Uh, and we can think of how God calls us to, to be like him, the call to, to turn away from evil and to do good in terms of commandments, and which we will do next year. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments, um, that we should do these things and not do these other things. But these also ought to become characteristic of us, ought to become habits of ours as we take them to heart and lay them upon our hearts so that hopefully... Uh, they become more natural to us, that uh, we desire to do these things, and uh, it shapes our character. And that's kind of the angle uh, that we come to this when we discuss uh, virtues. Uh, You are not only to do individual good deeds, but to become good, to develop good habits. Uh, C.S. Lewis just talked about virtues in this way. He says there's a difference between doing some particular just or temperate action and being a just or temperate man. Someone who is not a good tennis player may now and then make a good shot. What you mean by a good player is a man whose eye and muscles and nerves have become so trained by making innumerable good shots that they can now be relied upon. You know, a good tennis player has those habits and and, uh, strength and skills by which he's going to be a good tennis player consistently. Well, and that's the way we want to train ourselves for godliness. We want uh, to be sanctified by God's grace so that these become dependable traits and qualities that are yours and increasing, uh, like Peter says. Uh, The opposite of virtue would be corruption, a word that Peter also uses, uh, that we have these, these qualities, but man's nature has been corrupted by sin, by sinful desires and passions, the corruption of the world. Uh, But virtue is moral excellence, while sinful desires distort and defile. Now, Peter also mentions that this is something which you ought to add to your faith. Of course, faith is the first one. We're going to talk about faith today uh, as as fittingly a place to begin. It's where Peter begins. It's where Paul often begins. But then also, not only are we exhorted to believe, but we're exhorted to add these other qualities too and to practice them. So we're going to talk about how these are gifts of God, but it's also things which we ought to do and to practice and to to grow. Another place where the word virtue or excellence is used, the arete, the Greek word, is in Philippians chapter 4. So before we turn to faith, let me just briefly turn there. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. There Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, He uses a number of terms to describe these virtues, things that are praiseworthy or excellent or lovely or good. 
And not only that, but I think he's speaking of the same things, that, he's, that they've learned these things, that they've seen them in Paul, um, and they've heard them. And how are we to grow in them? Well, think upon these things. So use your mind. That's one reason why we're having this class, right? Is so that we can keep these things in our minds and, and understand them. Also to observe examples of virtue, like Paul, for example, Certainly God and his excellence, his attributes, but also those uh, who have set good examples before us, who have walked in these ways, and also then to practice them, practice these things as uh, something that we should apply, uh, what we have learned and seen. All right, any questions before we go to... Yes. Yes, yes. So the word there, virtue or, or excellence, is the same, the same word there. So yeah, it could be translated virtue. That's, that's the Greek word for, for virtue. All right, so um, let's turn to faith. Um, one triad that Paul likes to use is that of faith, hope, and love, or faith, love, and hope. Sometimes he'll rearrange the last two, depending on his emphasis, but it's interesting, a faith uh, is always listed first. In, in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, he says, now these, things, these three things, uh, faith, hope, and, and love. But we also have, in three other places at least, Colossians 1, 3 through 5, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And then 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in all our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then later in that same epistle, He says, for since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of, guess what it is, faith Faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so those are the first three that we're going to look at, faith, uh, hope, and love, beginning with faith. In these passages, you see that it talks about the, the object of faith, faith in what? Not faith in love, faith in, what do we put our faith in? Jesus. Jesus, faith in Christ Jesus. That's what he says in Colossians. Faith in Christ Jesus. And he also talks about the fruit of faith. That uh, he speaks of their work of faith. Uh, that that uh, faith is demonstrated by their work. Just like love also produces labor and hope produces steadfastness. Um, one note before we go further, uh, the word for faith, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, when it's used as a verb, as opposed to a noun, it's usually translated believe. So if I say believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it, it, that's the same as saying have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in English, they might be two different words, but in the Bible, it's usually the same uh, Greek or Hebrew root that's being used there. 
So what is faith? Specifically, what is saving faith? Because the Bible will use faith in some different ways. There's some faith that is deficient in one way or another, but still can be called faith. But the faith that we ought to be practicing, saving faith, what, what is faith? How would you describe it? Right, so it's regarding things we can't see and things that we, we hope for, so things that are future, and, and yes, we can, we can have confidence in those things. Good, and we'll come back to Hebrews 11, because that's a pretty important passage in describing faith. Receiving and resting upon Jesus Christ as he is offered in Right, so what, did any of you children catch the two words that start with R that he just used? receive what's the other one rest receive and rest yes in the lord jesus christ of course that was also from from the catechism um one way that that faith has been described and receive and rest would really uh connect with a third of these things is that includes knowledge assent and trust and the idea of trust is kind of this idea of receiving and resting uh, which we get to. And, and to get to that point, you know, it, the, the knowledge and assent are important, but you don't want to stop there. Um, for example, are you sitting in a chair right now? Do you trust that chair to hold you? You have faith in that chair? Nah. Yeah, you have faith. Not the same kind of faith you place in God, but, a, you know, a sort of, a kind of faith. Because otherwise you'd be scared. You would doubt. You might not sit there. But first of all, you know that that chair is supposed to hold you. You also agree that that chair will hold you. And then you also trust in that chair and therefore sit in it. Right? You receive and rest upon it. You rest your whole body upon it. That it's going to hold you up. And so that's an example of what we mean by faith. That you have faith in the object. In this case, we're talking about that chair. But you're not trusting in the chair for salvation, right? What are you trusting in the chair for? You're trusting the chair to hold you up so you don't fall on the ground. Yeah, that, that's all. It's not really dramatic. But with Jesus, we're trusting in him for salvation, uh, for life, uh, for um, all that is offered in the gospel. And so it's a, a much more important faith. Here's another analogy. Let's say you're in the ocean. All right. Can you picture yourself in the ocean? Except you're literally in the ocean. You're like being, you're going to sink. Okay. But someone threw a life preserver out to you that's floating there. All right. Well, you know that it's now there in front of you and it's supposed to hold you up. And you agree this life preserver will hold me up. And then you also trust in it by receiving and resting upon that life preserver, taking a hold of it so that you might be saved. Well, that's a little closer to to what it's like to trust in Christ, right? Because there you're trusting in that life preserver, that that floatable thing to save you from drowning, right? By receiving it, by resting upon it, because you know it's there and it's supposed to hold you and agree that it will and therefore you trust in it. Well, with Jesus, we learn about him in the gospel We also then assent to the gospel. Yes, Jesus is the Savior. He is the Son of God. 
But do the demons recognize that? Do the demons assent to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God? They do. They even called him that. They said, you son of God. But do the demons receive and rest upon Jesus Christ for their salvation? No, no. So James will say, even the demons believe that God is one and shudder. You know, the demons believe in a sense. They believe that they have knowledge and they give a sense, but they don't receive and rest. They don't trust. So their faith is deficient and it's not saving faith. That is a, a faulty faith. It doesn't meet the full definition, but it can still be used. The word can still be used um, that, that they have a faith, but it's a dead faith. It's not uh, a living or saving faith. And therefore, it also doesn't produce works. Because why would the demons do good works out of that faith? In, instead, the fruit of that faith is shuddering, is fear, is trying to escape. Right? That's not the fruit of our faith. The fruit of a faith that receives and rests upon Christ is very different. How did, how did Abraham demonstrate his faith in God? Do you remember a big test that Abraham was put to, whether he would believe God or not? What's that? Right. God told him to sacrifice his son. Not only was that you know, a horrible thing to think about, but that was also the promised son. And so it was difficult to see how God would bring to pass his promises through the sacrifice of this son, but Abraham believed God and therefore he obeyed God because he received him as his God and rested upon him and his promise of salvation through Christ. Now, how does faith is is unique compared to all the other virtues because we say that we are saved by faith. Do we say we are saved by love? Do we say we're saved by our righteousness? Do we say we're saved by our wisdom? But do we say we're saved by faith? Yeah. How is faith, how does faith save? What's special about faith? Well, we are believing the truth, but not just any truth. The saving act of faith is that of receiving Jesus. Receiving Jesus as he presents himself in the gospel. Receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Or as receiving Jesus as the Christ. The prophet, priest, and king. Our prophet, priest, and king. Because where is salvation to be found? In God and in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again for us. And so it's by receiving this gift, by receiving Jesus, by f- and faith is how we receive him, because it's receiving and resting upon him. That is how faith saves. Receiving Jesus, we could all, sometimes the Bible speaks of it as faith in God, who delivered Jesus for our trespasses and raised him from the dead. You know, our faith is in God, but especially faith in God by receiving his provision of salvation, his gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Um, and, it's, and so it's this receiving and resting that is the saving act of faith. So it doesn't save because, it doesn't save as a virtue. It doesn't save as a good work. Although it is a work, it is a virtue, but that's not how it saves. Um, 
It's not that God is really impressed with your faith and says, oh, I better make an exception for this person. His faith is really impressive. That's not how faith saves. Rather, it's an instrument by which we receive Jesus and his righteousness and his salvation. And so Jesus says, I saved this person. I'm not going to condemn this person because he has Jesus. And Jesus died for him. Uh, Romans 3, 24 through 25 would speak of this, that we're justified by grace through Jesus Christ, through his blood, who is a propitiation uh, for us received by faith, propitiation in his blood. And so faith is unique compared to hope and love and righteousness and wisdom and all of these things because it's receptive, because it's a way you receive a gift. So the basis of your justification is Christ's righteousness, but faith is how you receive it. So that's how we can say we're justified by faith apart from the works of the law, received by faith alone, uh, because it's the only thing that receives Christ. And all of salvation is found in Christ. Justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification, we receive and rest upon him for all these things. Of course, we receive Christ, but we receive him in a way that we also give ourselves to him. Think about how does how does a bride receive her husband? She receives this man as her husband at the same time as she gives herself to him as his bride. Right. Uh, in, a, in a similar way, we receive Jesus as our savior, as our prophet, priest and king. And at the same time. We're also giving ourselves to him as his people, as his disciples. So we receive and rest upon him. But that faith also includes the idea of giving ourselves to him. As we own him as our Lord and our teacher. Now, where does faith come from? Where does saving faith come from? Jesus. It's in Jesus, but it also... Yes, a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. We don't boast about our faith because it's a gift that God gives. No one comes to the Father, no one comes to God unless God draws him, unless God uh, brings him. As John six forty four would say, that faith itself is worked in us. And what does God use to produce faith in us? Is there an outward and ordinary way in which God produces faith in us? Yes, yes. We even looked last Sunday evening about the spirit of truth, right? How the spirit works along with the word of God. Uh, bringing these things to us. Well, in Romans 10, we find that Paul is speaking of faith. With the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. But then verse 14, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him? It says of whom or could be whom they have never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing 
and hearing through the word of Christ. And so faith uh, is, uh, comes as a gift of God, and it's produced through the word of Christ. Christ himself preaching to us, but through the, the preaching of the word he's delivered to us, the, the word of God, which we find in Scripture. Now, Scripture even speaks of, of infants having a kind of faith. Uh, Psalm 22, 9 through 10, or at least that they can have uh, faith that uh, even from one's mother's womb, uh, you've caused me to trust in you. Um, and the Reformers would speak of this as like a seed of faith. As, as seminal faith, this seed sown in regeneration by the Holy Spirit, um, but it sprouts and is you know, exercised more and more in response to God's word. So even if the seed is there, we still ought to come to the word of God that we might uh, have this faith uh, worked and, and sprout and grow and embrace what is offered there, embrace the gospel, embrace uh, Jesus Christ. Now, what is the opposite of faith? Not wrath, not wrath. That's what we want to avoid by placing our faith in Christ. So I guess you could see it as an opposite of that. But if, if you say, I have faith, what would be the opposite of having faith? I doubt. I doubt would be similar. Or, or I, uh, you know, fearfully hesitate and lose hope and, and, and faith. You know, of course, be without faith would be the opposite of faith. But <laughs> the idea of, of doubting, um, these are contrary. Faith and doubt are contrary to one another is my point. Um, now, could someone believe and yet also have doubt? Yeah, it's possible for a person to have faith and doubt. But these things would struggle against each other. You know, the, the stronger your faith, the you know, the, that weakens your doubt, and, and they are uh, producing a struggle uh, within us, and we want our faith to grow. And so, so the Bible speaks of faith being weak, or strong, or little, or great. Some of great faith, Jesus would say, look at this, this uh, Canaanite woman, remember, in, in Matthew, uh, what is it, 15 or 16, or the centurion, who shows great faith in Jesus, or in other times he speaks to his disciples, oh, you have little faith. Um, it can be great or weak. And so we are taught to pray that God would increase our faith. And also we have the means of grace, like the word of God, like the sacraments, like prayer, uh, which are used to strengthen our faith. Not only do they, are they meant to strengthen your faith, but you should use them to strengthen your faith. You know, to use the word of God rightly, to use the sacraments rightly, to use prayer rightly, so that they might build up your faith. All right, any questions before we start to wrap up on the topic of faith? Let's go to Hebrews 11 then. We've already mentioned it. In, in verse 1, it speaks of it as being a, a kind of, it being as confidence regarding things that we hope for, uh, or conviction regarding things unseen. So it, it can be contrasted with sight. It's, rever, it's referring to invisible things or future things. Verse 6 
in that chapter says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek them, seek him. So believe that this invisible God exists, things unseen, right? Believe that God exists. But not only that, because even the demons believe that, right? Believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so we have this belief in his, what he promises, uh, a, a trust in his word and in what he gives us. In the end of the previous chapter, he speaks of faith being contrary to shrinking back, of, of giving up, and that we have need of endurance. And how do we endure? We endure by faith. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We also learn in Hebrews 11 that a person who has faith in God will have faith in God's word. If you trust me, you're probably going to trust what I say, right? And you're going to trust what I say because you trust me. You know, a person who is trustworthy, you're going to trust their word. Their word is going to be trustworthy. Well, if we believe God, if we believe Christ, we're going to receive his word, his whole word, whatever he says. And so Hebrews speaks of obeying by faith in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place. In 7, it talks about trembling at God's threatens, threatenings. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He couldn't see it yet, but he trusted God and so built the ark. Uh, he, he heeded the warning. Or in verse 13, by faith we embrace the promises for this life and the life to come. In verse 13, all these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them or embraced them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So if God gives you a promise, by faith, we embrace it. If God gives us a command, by faith, we observe it. If God gives us a warning, by faith, we heed it. And so as Luther says, what a living, creative, active, powerful thing is faith. Faith works. Uh, faith uh, produces good works. As Paul says, faith works through love. It's also foundational for our hope. Without faith, you're not going to have hope. Without faith, you're not going to have love. Not uh, the type of love that's good. Not only does faith justify as an instrument by which we receive Christ, but it also sanctifies in a totally different way. Uh, not only as a reception of Christ, who is our sanctification, but also as a power within us by which we live. That we now live by our faith in Jesus Christ, and therefore acting upon his word. So let's believe in God, in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, embracing Christ for our salvation. And let's use his means, his word, uh, to build up our faith, that our faith might be strengthened, and therefore also that our faith might strengthen uh, the rest of the virtues that we're going to discuss in this series. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word and for the
sure rock that we have to build upon, not only of your word, but upon you who have spoken it, and for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in him eternal life. We pray that you would strengthen our faith, increase our faith, that we would uh, be able to grow, to be strengthened, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.